Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis, and this is Hot Takes. I'll be joined by a guest who's come ready to go with three queer movie hot takes that they'll need to persuade me of in three arguments or less. I am very excited to have Aria Vells here, an online creator who essentially just talks a lot about lesbian movies and also her wife. Yay! <laughs> Hello. So I know you primarily through TikTok because um, essentially you came up on my For You page and then the algorithm really was like, it's the For You page <laughs> and was like, you will like lesbian movie content. I was like, how did you know? It's my entire job and social life. <laughs> and uh, and so I have been long time follower, recent time slipping into the DMs asking to <laughs> podcast guester um and I'm very very happy that you said yes because I feel like you truly have like an encyclopedic knowledge of Mm. queer movies a lot of videos that I see from you are someone will ask in the comments can you give me an example of a movie set on the moon that includes Mm -hmm. x y and z and you're like yeah here's my top 10 list um (laughs) which is amazing so how did you get into like before we get into the hot takes I'm just very curious how did you kind of get into this line of work yeah let me paint you a picture of and I'll Also, thank you so much for having me. I'm also a big fan of you. So this is like pretty surreal to be on here. So I really appreciate it. Look at us go. Oh, so great. (laughs) Yeah. So when I was like 14 or 15, my friend Kendra showed me this little movie called Imagine Me and You. And Mm. I had never seen a movie before in which like I cared about the romance. Like I just never cared about romance, romantic comedies, always something that I hated. And so I watched this movie and I was like, oh my God, are there more movies like this? And so it just became like my goal in in high school to just watch every lesbian movie I possibly could. And this was like when Netflix was just sending physical DVDs. This was when DVD rental stores were still big. Back in the day. Back in the day. So my mom, so kind, she would just like take me to the video rental store every week and I would just try to find every lesbian movie. And so eventually I compiled all the ones that I watched into like a Word document list that I would send to my friends. And this is something that I worked on on and off for like several years. And then 2020 hit, not much going on. I work in theater and like there wasn't a lot happening creatively. So I decided to like dust off the Word document And at this point, I had seen maybe like 150 movies or something. And I was like, what if I made this into a spreadsheet Then I can like just share it with more people? Because by then, I had started talking a lot about lesbian films on TikTok. And I just was like, there are so many more movies out there. People need to know about this. Like, there are just so many good ones to find. So that was always my big goal of just like sharing the same experience that I had when I was 15 and like watching this romantic movie and like really understanding what love was for the first time. So I turned that into a spreadsheet and then shared it on TikTok. And now that's become like half of my personality, which I love. Incredible. So I would love as is customary in these types of episodes, the hot takes episodes, to hear your first hot take. Feel free to take these in any order you like. It can be from like least convincing to most convincing. You mm. can do most controversial to least controversial. Whatever your order, it is It is totally up to you. I am just here to receive the hot take and to pass judgment. Yeah, get ready, Rowan, because these are coming in hot. These are some spicy oh, takes, I think. Yes, please. I don't have a particular order for them, but I wanted like a mix of ones that I thought were like just aggravating enough and also like not, you know, not mean. Love that. 
Yeah. Aggravating, not mean, strong, yes. coming in strong. Thank you. So let's see. First hot take. Happiest Season is a good movie, actually, and has been disproportionately maligned by lesbians and queer women. Okay. So for those who don't know, Happiest Season, can you tell us a little bit about it? So Happy Season came out Christmas of 2020, and it is a movie that um, was written and directed, co-written and directed by Clay Duvall, who is a lesbian icon. She uh, has, you, you will know her from But I'm a Cheerleader, among other movies. And so she wrote and directed this movie about a lesbian couple going to visit one of the partner's families, and she surprises her other partner being like, by the way, my family doesn't know that I'm a lesbian and in a relationship with you, so you might have to like keep that a secret for the time that we're here. And so this is a movie that is a Christmas family movie that is centered around a lesbian couple. And my wife and I watched it and absolutely loved it, like cried, laughed, thought it was great. And then like my wife checked Twitter and apparently we were the only lesbians who thought that because this movie has a lot of ire directed towards it. And I have made it like it like a personal mission to like put myself on the sword in defense of Happiest Season. So I don't want to say yet where I fall instinctively on okay. this hot take i would like to Ooh, hear your wait. sort of reasonings first so so yeah. give give me persuade me hypothetically yeah so the number one thing that why i think a lot of lesbians and queer women really disproportionately didn't like this film was that there are a lot of unfounded expectations of what this film was supposed to be clay duvall very specifically wrote this to be a family movie that reflected families like hers and family Christmas movies is like a very specific type of subgenre that comes with like a lot of different tropes. And I think lesbians saw the trailer for this movie and instead of seeing a Christmas family movie, they saw a Christmas romantic comedy. And so a lot of women came in being like, this is going to be the Christmas romantic comedy. This is going to like completely change the landscape of romantic comedies for lesbians. And we're like just shocked that like it wasn't that and it just didn't intend to be that. And I and I don't blame I don't blame I don't blame us I don't blame us there there is certainly a need for romantic comedies holiday romantic comedies I don't think though that it is right for lesbians to like put that desire onto happiest season when I think very clearly from the marketing and from the way all the artists talking about it that it was not that kind of movie it's supposed to be a movie that reflects the complexities of family and relationships the uh, hypocrisies. The things that we keep hidden and instead I think people focused on like oh well this was supposed to be a romantic comedy but this relationship is toxic because they had problems uh and so I think that was just like an unfair expectation for lesbians and queer women to put on it so that's first argument mm -hmm. yeah I'm gonna say right now please you're correct um so it's not uh, spoiler alert it's not going to be hard to persuade me of this opinion because oh, I also hold it cool I absolutely agree with you that the response to this movie was very tied in with the expectations that mm -hmm. kind of came out of n sort of came out of nowhere but I guess sort of came out of the way that like people would talk about it and then before it come out and then other people would repeat what they'd heard and it be kind of kind of yeah. became this game of telephone around this movie and I think because most people as you pointed out know Clear Duval from But I'm a Cheerleader I think there might have been a bit of an expectation of that kind of comedic Mm -hmm. element of it where there might have been a sense of tragedy in there but like primarily there's a comedic element mm -hmm. and so I think they probably saw that 
idea from the kind of premise of the trailer of like, oh, secret relationship, but it's all yeah. gonna, you know, it's gonna be hijinks rather than like genuine drama. And so I, I already, I couldn't keep it within totally uh, agree with you but just amazing. in case there's anyone who is listening who is still skeptical do you have any other ways to persuade them i do so i think secondly again this is like a christmas family movie this is like a very specific subgenre, and it comes with like a lot of various tropes and a lot of various hijinks and i think a lot of lesbians and queer women are just not used to seeing lesbians within that particular genre, which is like a largely heteronormative genre, like Christmas movies are very heteronormative. Mm. And so a lot of these tropes that you see all the time in movies about straight people, in which like, we're about to meet my parents. And by the way, there's a big secret that I haven't told you before we meet them. That, that happens all the time in these kinds of movies. And I feel like maybe we're just not used to seeing like representations of women in those kinds of situations. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of LGBT people, like the, the sense of awareness for health and relationships, I think in fictionalized interpretations, I think people are very quick to say that like something is toxic when really it's probably just within a specific genre constraint of the movie that's supposed to push things along. So I think that is also why, like, like I understand in real life that telling your partner like, my family doesn't know I'm gay or that I'm with you. Yeah, that can be really hurtful. Within the genre of this movie, it like perfectly fits in with with what's happening and as it does in like a lot of these types of movies. So I think that's another thing. I think like maybe maybe crew women are just like not used to seeing these types of genre tropes and constraints. And I think that's like a little difficult to fathom sometimes. Mm-hmm. I I definitely agree that I mean my hot take slipping into the the bed with this hot take is I think that this is something I've noticed while doing the queer movie watch alongs Mm -hmm. so for those who don't know not to plug our own patreon in the middle of our podcast but um (laughs) we do these watch alongs with our patrons and stuff on discord every month and it's really interesting because people like we're all in the discord as we're watching Mm -hmm. people are so fast to judge characters like they hate people from the for like making a mistake at the beginning of a movie and you're like but that's how plot works like that is like this person has to make a mistake for them to grow and learn like this person is going to be maybe not a good person at the beginning or make a big mistake or have like some flaw which is causing them to treat their friends or their family or themselves badly right and the whole point is that they grow as people um and so it's always really interesting watching people's reactions where they like almost hold a grudge against the character the whole way through. And so I do think there was probably a lot of people who went into this movie with a very strong, especially because in the queer community, I feel like people have very strong feelings about like community issues isn't quite the right word, but experiences like coming out and they put a lot of like, oh, you should do this or like this is a good way of doing it or a bad way of doing it. Whereas in reality, it's just a very complicated subject with very personal ramifications. (laughs) And they're actually like- you know, if so, it's not like unforgivable for someone to be the kind of person who puts off difficult things. Um, yes. And so it's put off telling this person, like they thought that they would get around to telling their parents maybe, and they just didn't. And they're like, but I really want you there because I love you, but also this is going to be so awful and I'm so sorry. And right. it's that, it's like a really interesting reaction to the very premise, I think, not even the actions that happened during the movie, but a lot of people who got really annoyed with that character just for the very premise of like, daring to to go home to a family not having come out to them but right. still want their girlfriend around 
A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yes, I, I agree. I think people are very can be very quick to judge and very quick to like see an imperfect couple and immediately say that that couple shouldn't be together. Mm-hmm. And it, it, and you know that's that that that's like a big struggle that people have in the movie. But I thought like it made the movie so much richer for for me and my wife. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree. That actually brings me to my third point, which is that I just think people are being so mean to Harper about her actions, <laughs> and this comes from. This comes from like personal experience because when my wife and I were watching the movie, I had to pause the movie and be like, this literally happened to me. I literally was with a girlfriend in college and we decided to spend like Christmas and New Year's at her family's house who are like a very conservative family in Texas and Oklahoma. And I had to pretend like I wasn't her girlfriend for two weeks. And so I was watching this movie being like, oh my gosh, like I've been through this situation. This is so crazy to me. And it was like very funny and like very entertaining to watch. And I was so shocked when people were like, how dare Harper do that to Abby and make her do that? That is so cruel. And I'm like, I mean, like this happened to me, but like I didn't think it was, I I did not make it about me. I think people, I understand people like totally thinking about like Abby's perspective. And yeah, we saw Abby's perspective as being the person who had to like, you know, pretend to not be dating her partner. But for me, when I was in that situation, I saw it as like, well, I'm doing this so I can preserve my girlfriend's relationship with her family so that she can have the kind of relationship that she wants. Like, it's not about me. This is like about her thing. And so when people are viewing Happy Season as if like Abby is the only one who was like really hurt by the situation, I thought that was just kind of silly. Like this is just as hurtful for Harper. And I think it's supposed to show that being pushed in the closet and being forced to hide yourself has larger ramification. In fact, it is thematic for the whole movie. Harper is not the only person who is hiding something. Everyone in the family is hiding something that hinders their relationships with everybody else. Agreed. I definitely think that there is a a sense of your right perspective in it because you could just as easily say you know this is automatically going to be like she should have known a torturous thing for her girlfriend to have to go through but I'm like equally you could as the girlfriend see it as this is an opportunity for me to do something that like ultimately is going to be a lot harder for my girlfriend to be going through like it's her family it's her issue and I can just be this like private bright spot during this time that would be very isolating and lonely for her otherwise being all alone with this secret in this family and like I'm I'm able to put aside the type of openness in the relationship that we have outside of this in order to be there for her like you could just as easily see that and I think also the 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 same scenario in a different genre I think your right would be totally different I don't think anyone would be saying anything if the genre was like a farcical comedy and the joke was always on how like the the family didn't realize what's going on and they were like in it together as a bit of a joke of like oh we're just you know we're secretly like going off to kiss in the closet or like we're doing we're doing like Christmas hijinks over here yes and it's just I think that the way that the the genre works that means that it was more maybe pathos and drama than people were expecting to to get and I think that knocked people off balance a little bit Totally. And I get it. I get it. Like you go in to see a Christmas movie. Maybe you just like want to see fluffy lesbian. You don't want to see a movie in which like there's actual in-depth conversation about what it means to hide yourself in front of your family. Like, boo, we don't want to see that at Christmas. But I think that's what makes the movie like very powerful and entertaining. And I thought it was hilarious. I also really feel like maybe I was primed for liking this movie and that British Mm. Christmas movies. (laughs) are really quite um 
just devastating emotionally. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. We really don't like allowing people to be happy at Christmas, and so very, which is very, very different to the quintessential like American uh, yeah. Christmas Hallmark vibe movie, which I think is kind of like the staple over there. And so it's really interesting. That's so true. I'd, I'd really love to see the difference between the reactions from American lesbians and British lesbians to this <sighs> movie. Cause I like, maybe my theory is like us with our jaded love actually hearts where we're like, we love tearing down the, any happiness that's like sprinkled into love actually as much as we like, yeah. like actually being happy at Christmas. It's so funny because my wife showed me Love Actually like a month ago. I had never seen the movie before. I'd only seen the memes. And so when I watched it, I was like, this movie is so miserable. I like- Have you heard about the lesbian storyline? Yes. Yeah, I listened. Actually? I actually listened to the episode, the podcast episode where you talked about it. Um, oh and so of course I was like, oh wow, there's like going to be a lesbian storyline. And then you're like, and <laughs> then she dies. And then she dies. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, uh, that was fun. But yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it was like so weirdly miserable. And then just like, like, I guess Emma Thompson just never confronts Alan Rickman. Like, like, do we just yeah, leave no. it at that? Like, there was a lot where I was like, wow, I can't believe this movie is so popular, but it is. Sorry, spoilers for love, actually, everyone. But if you haven't watched it by now, I mean, will you ever? <laughs> yeah, but it's very like British, British Christmas movies. There's like a few other ones that are just like, some of them are, are like downright, they, they end on a really miserable note. Wow. Some of them are just like sort of vaguely sad the whole way through. There was one with Eddie Izzard a few years ago called Ooh. Lost Christmas that was incredible. It was like, I think it was a BBC production. Oh, wow. But I feel like no one outside of the UK will ever have seen it. But it's just <laughs> Eddie Izzard in like the most like mask role that mm. Eddie Izzard has wow. ever been in. That's so fascinating. As a... I didn't even know. It's like a weird Dickensian, modern Dickensian. Maybe that's maybe I need to rewatch that and uh, try and um, what is it called again? I'll try, try and see it if it's as miserable as I remember it being. <laughs> Lost Christmas. Lost it's like Christmas. a. It's it's like um the idea of people losing things at Christmas. That mm. seems very whimsical, except for the fact that like they lose family members and you're like oh cool that's less um wow christmas cheer of you that's bbc so fascinating feels very good i'm gonna say with this hot take i was already persuaded at the beginning but i feel like you laid out three very good arguments that that tie into exactly what i would have expected you to bring which is like film theory and knowledge and the breakdown of narrative structure very on brand i feel like oh, so um i'm gonna give this a tick this is a pass this is a hot take that was the right amount of spice. <laughs> if anyone else disagrees, the uh, unfortunately this you're not on the call, so you cannot um, <laughs> interrupt this podcast to let us know. But feel free to to let us know in other ways, like Twitter or Instagram at Queer Movie Pod, because yeah. I would love to hear if anyone has they think they have an argument to prove us wrong on this point. Yeah. At this point in the podcast, we just wanted to give a special thank you to our sponsor this episode. Get excited, guys. We have a sponsor, Squarespace, which is the all-in-one platform where we and a lot of other people, it turns out, build their websites, online stores, digital portfolios. If you want to build an online presence, a personal brand or a product line with stylish layouts and easy to use tools, Squarespace has got you. If, like us, you... um don't necessarily have, you know, pre-existing skills in website making, Squarespace has you covered with templates that you can customize to your heart's desire. 
including gallery pages, e-commerce tools, members areas, and more. I use Squarespace to build my own personal website as well, and it was ridiculously easy compared to uh, building HTML pages in IT class at school. Yes, that is my most recent reference to how the internet works. I am, like Jazza, old. There's also some other really great tools you can use. So for example, if you have a cause or charity you want to help support, then you can use built-in tools to gather donations through PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. Not only can you link your social media accounts onto your website to make it easier for visitors to find your different pages, but you can also display posts directly from your social channels onto the site itself, like all in one place. And if you're using your site for business, then analytics are your best friend, letting you see where visitors and sales are coming from, making sure you can build your marketing strategy around findings on your most popular products, landing pages, and keywords. So if that sounds like something that would be useful for you, then you can check out squarespace.com forward slash queer movie for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, use offer code queer movie to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. At this point in the podcast, I would love to tell you a little bit about a different podcast that I think you would enjoy. So if you're enjoying the Queer Movie Podcast, we think that you will be a massive fan of some of the other shows that are part of the Multitude Collective. And today I wanted to tell you a little bit about Head, Heart, Gut and Multicrew. So what is Head, Heart, Gut? I hear you asking. It is a weekly friendly debate show featuring all of the different hosts across Multitude. Every month, we take an iconic set of three items from pop culture or the world we live in and pitch them against each other in an incredible debate show. For the first three weeks, basically every contestant has a chance to argue, you know, for the prowess and domination of their particular choice. And then in the fourth week, there is a kind of uh, structured debate in which a special guest judge also gets to decide what their you know official ruling is of the best of the three there's been all sorts in the past uh the last one that i did that is already out is the best fictional animal companion ones that are coming up i've just done the best mode of transport and the best thing about being an adult so i am very very excited for you all to get to hear that other things that have been decided which are episodes that I have listened to but I'm not on were best fruit best movie sequel best thing to do at a theme park and a load more there's actually over two years worth of these podcasts um, and these arguments to uncover so head heart gut is exclusively for members of the multi crew which is the multitude membership program that supports all of multitude including the queer movie podcast to try new things launch new shows and keep the independent podcast engine going you can join for as little as five dollars a month at multicrew.club where you can get access to head heart gut okay that is enough from me let's get back to our wonderful guest <laughs> So I would love now to hear your second hot take. Okay, so this one, this one I don't think is as hot. I think this is not necessarily a hot take. I think it's about framing though. So I think there should be more lesbian movies that aren't centered around romance at all. I think that there's a very understandable need for lesbian films to have great romance stories. Like the, the joke is that like, like you just want a, a lesbian movie where like the girl gets the girl in the end. And I, I don't want to take that away. Like I also want that. I do want that same energy to be treated for films 
with lesbian and bisexual characters in which romance is not a central part of the narrative because I feel like we don't really have that much of a, a big push and obviously lesbians and queer women are just so much more complex and interesting other than like the romance that we have amazing do you have any examples of movies that you think like already do this or have done this well yes so it, it depends because guys this is so hard because there's so many films that I personally I I love them I think they're so great but like I don't necessarily talk about them on my TikTok because people are like well does it have a happy ending and I'm like it doesn't but that doesn't like not in the way that you're asking because like usually when people are like does it have a happy ending they mean does the girl get the girl in the end and do they both live at the end I totally understand that I think there are a lot of films that don't have that, that I still think are like amazing and worth watching. So in terms of like, like what are lesbian movies that I think are like not about romance, but still are really good stories about like lesbians and queer women. I think that this is a weird answer. I love the movie Annihilation. I think it's like a really great movie. And it's a sci-fi film in which like a group of all women are basically tasked to go into this I don't know, kind of like portal into like a, a twisted uh, altering of our dimension. And there is a lesbian supporting character in it who does not have a love interest at all. She is like one of the group. She's one of the, the, the four, but provides like a very rich counterpoint to a lot of the action, has like a lot of fascinating conversation and is able to like be a lesbian without having that without having her sexuality centralized around like a romance and i think that's like a great movie and i think it's like a great way to like have a character that in which you don't have a romance at all i do think there are plenty of other movies this i guess this is like me like i love genre movies but i think like atomic blonde is like a really great movie in which like a bisexual lead there is like kind of a romance going on but the central story is like a spy espionage story. I also think that like Booksmart is actually kind of goes into this for me. That movie is not about is the girl going to really get the girl in the end. It's it's more about like a friendship high school hijinks movie. Absolutely. Yeah. So that that's like a full gamut. Oh, there's also and sorry, actually, how about you continue? Because I have another point. I'm going to make another point. But like, what, <laughs> what do you have to say about that, Rowan? Um, yeah, no, I mean, like, if anyone doubted my assessment of you as like the lesbian encyclopedia <laughs> creator, then that clearly kind of proves my point. Um, I totally agree. I think that so for just because it's us, mm-hmm. just because just because it's us, and I feel like this is very much our vibe. Yeah, when people are thinking about narrative, um, a lot of the time, you don't necessarily think about it in a very critical way. It's like you're watching a movie, whatever. As soon as you start learning about narrative it will both heighten and ruin your film experience Mm. because it will heighten it because you really understand the craft behind it it will ruin it because you know exactly what is going to happen a lot of the time in a lot of movies Mm -hmm. and sometimes that can be quite nice and oftentimes with uh, romance for example like a lot of people will read romance books and look into romance as a genre because they do know what's going to happen and that's Mm -hmm. actually part of the appeal Mm. but one of the big things is the link between plot and subplot or like A plot and B plot. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of mainstream movies, the B plot is a romance. And so what will happen is the external issue that is happening, like someone needs to raise money for something or someone needs to stop something from happening is like the A plot. And then the B plot is a more internal story of like what they have to change about themselves in order to 
actually get what they want. Because the A plot is often, you'll often have like the thing at the end doesn't actually work out how you think it will. So sports movies are, re are really well known for doing this where like Cool Runnings, for example, not to spoil Cool Runnings very randomly in this podcast, but they don't win. And if it's a sports movie, you'd think the A plot of them going and trying to win this race is like, yeah, this is great, amazing. And then they win. But like, yeah. if they don't, that's a different lesson. That's a different need and want than the, what they thought they needed and wanted. And so in a lot of movies, romance is the B plot because it allows them to explore themselves, be vulnerable. It might be another kind of relationship like a like parent-child relationship or a mm -hmm. friendship. But when we talk about the idea of like having a lesbian movie that doesn't necessarily focus around relationships, you can have ones that don't have it at all. Right. But a lot, if you implanted kind of lesbians onto mainstream cinema, it would just be a B plot. Whereas right. a lot of lesbian movies, it kind of is like the A and B plot in a way that doesn't really give a lot of interest beyond like, oh, and they're gay and in a relationship. Yes. And so that is... De so like Booksmart is a great example where the, the actual plot line that's happening, the A plot is like them trying to figure out like how to get to this party so that they can have a last, you know, night out party rager before they go to college. The B plot is their relationship as friends. And then there's almost like a C plot, which is the romance. Right, exactly. And that's really, I, I totally agree with you. I think that that's, as we're pushing for like, inclusion and visibility for lesbian relationships in film I think that we can't forget the idea of like part of treating it like we do any mainstream film is allowing it to be a b-plot or a c-plot and that also being a good idea and a good kind of narrative a hundred percent like like to go with what you're saying about sports movies I think uh the novice last year that is a great mm. example of what I think like a good mainstream movie about like a queer woman can look like it is a sports film about a girl a college girl on her rowing team who's trying to be like the best rower on her team and she's bisexual and there is like a kind of a romance b plot but but the story is about like is this girl going to be the best on her rowing team and like at what cost is she going to do so and that movie like thrilled me i thought it was so great and i wish there were more like it i think that it's kind of unfortunate um in a way, I think that it, it kind of has made a lot of queer women train themselves to view the quality of a lesbian movie as whether or not the girl gets the girl in the end. And mm -hmm. I really want us to like move away from that, which is not to say like there shouldn't still be more romance. Like, you know, my like my wife says all the time that there is no there is no lesbian equivalent of big fat Greek wedding. And she thinks like we will never achieve equality until there is a lesbian big fat Greek wedding. And I 100% agree with her. <laughs> what a good catchphrase. Right? Yeah. And so I also <laughs> and I also want like lesbians and queer women to see movies like The Novice and feel like that is like equally that can be an equally powerful understanding and illuminating movie about being a queer woman as a movie like Portrait of a Lady on Fire can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm trying to think of other movies that I feel like I've done that well. Steph in Pride as a character, I adore mm. and Ugh, um, love Pride, man. There's not, there's, there's like, no there's, movie like there's Pride. some comments about her lack of ability with women, but not <laughs> any of her actual relationships. Yeah. There's also, I really, really enjoyed Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, uh, yeah. Which yes. again has like, there's it's way more interested in this sort of like right. queer friendship rather than the relationships and her what's going on with her mentally and like you know her her own sort of 
ability to deal with herself and her personality and her life beyond romance. A hundred percent. I mean, the one that I feel like is really interesting because I do like to recommend it to people because I think it's a brilliant movie. And I always do feel a little bit like, hmm, how far can I recommend this and talk mm -hmm. about the fact that as a lesbian sort of like ensemble character, like side character. Yeah. Because this girl doesn't necessarily have a relationship as a part of her plot, which is uh, Anna and the Apocalypse. Ah, yes, Anna and the Apocalypse, yes. Which is such a weird one to recommend because you're like, okay, so it's a Christmas movie. Yes. That is also a musical. That is also a zombie apocalypse movie. Yes. Um, and it's great. Uh, and and it's British. So I'm like, <laughs> all of these things combined together to make the weirdest movie you've ever seen, but it is genuinely brilliant. Yes, I agree. That that I did make a TikTok about that movie. Um, and I said at the very end, before you ask, the lesbian doesn't die, because like I have to put that in. Otherwise, like a lot of people will mm -hmm. not watch it. But that is a great example of a movie in which there is a lesbian character, a butch lesbian character, which you never see. Um, and I mm -hmm. love that. But her her whole storyline and arc is not centered around a romantic relationship at all. Um, she has like an off screen girlfriend that we never hear of, but mm -hmm. uh, that we never see. But that that's a great example. So a, a big part of this is that I really want more movies about queer friendships because you don't see that a lot. This kind of goes back to Happy Season because one thing I loved about that movie is that you see two lesbians become friends and you never see that. Normally in like any movie, TV show, video game, like even plays, like it's like there is the gay character and then their love interest and that is the only community that they have. And so I think it's it's really important that there are more movies to show a lot of these queer friendships. Um, and there are very few, there are very few of them. Like I've seen like, you know, almost 300, like, lesbian movies, and I could probably only think of maybe, like, five or six where I'm like, yes, queer friendship is, like, a central part of that story. I, not to tell on myself, had the idea for a web series years ago, Ooh. and I truly do not have time to make it, but I was like, I want to do a modern teenage girl retelling of Robin Hood about a <gasps> gay, like, school group who has to, like, campaign in their school. Ooh. And it's, like, very queer group of people who have very different ideas about what is important to like campaign about and what is useful. But I'm like, I truly do not have time to <laughs> do that. So that would just be a thing that's in my brain. But um, that is that. to say, I agree. Queer friendship is such a an important part of so many queer people's lives and you hardly ever see it yeah. kind of portrayed on screen. And I think that is one of the joys of pride, like as a movie yes. for me, I think it's that element of it as well as all the other stuff that I really like about it to have what well, feels very realistic. It kind of feels like every time I see a lone gay character in a movie, I'm like, ah, oh, I guess we're not seeing your other friendship group that you have. That's right. like the, the gay friendship group that you have apart from these random people who I guess are your colleagues or like, you know, just right. you happen to find these straights and hang around with them for a bit. <laughs> But yeah, no, I I totally agree. Did you have did you have any more points on this hot take? By the way, or uh, the only thing the only thing I want to add is that like I, I I agree with what you just said of just like anytime I'm in it, like I I love the show Pretty Little Liars and Emily on Pretty Little Liars. She has like ten girlfriends throughout the whole show, and no no single lesbian friend at all incredibly ridiculous and unrealistic why would she you know <laughs> they just lesbians notoriously yeah just hate each other never hang around unless nope. they're kissing that's just how it works nope you never you're never friends with your ex either uh <laughs> you just like you break up with them and then you never see them again the end 
Dang. Um, I, okay, so I, again, completely agree with this hot take. It's, that's my favorite version of hot takes, which is, to be honest, has kind of happened for most of them so far. Okay, great. It's just me agreeing and being like, okay, okay cool. So this uh, format is basically just me asking people who I like to come on and just tell me things <laughs> I already believe and, and validate me uh, in all my it. queer opinions. So I, I'm, I, I want to see if this third one is going to give me something different or whether it's just going to be another another absolute agreement from me. Okay, we'll see. I genuinely think this is a really hot, that, that, this is a very polarizing take. I think this is a very polarizing okay. take. I think it is okay for straight actors to play gay characters. Oh, here we go. We're getting yeah. into it. So yeah. me, I don't, um, I don't know when this episode will go out in comparison to, uh, we have an episode, me and Jazza, about uh, Power of the Dog for like a oh. Oscar special. Oh, cool. And that's kind of brought this conversation back in because obviously Ooh. the Oscars has a lot of interesting history with like straight actors being rewarded like disproportionately for playing queer roles. And totally. also Benedict Cumberbatch has now been like lauded by the Oscars twice <laughs> for playing uh, gay gay characters, Power of the Dog being second and Imitation Game being first. And he did an interesting interview about this that was very ambiguous mm -hmm. in, in the way that he talked about it. Cause he kind of said like, I am not the same as my character, but like we have some similarities, but as far as being more specific than that, that is dealing with my own private life. Mm -hmm which could be an answer that someone who didn't want to, who was like bisexual say, and was like, right. you know, don't ask me to out myself basically. Yeah. But it could also be an answer that a straight person could say to be like, I'll never tell, don't ask me. <laughs> and so I think it was a very like good PR answer for, mm -hmm. for that mm -hmm. kind of situation. Yeah. In the, I see that. It's, it is a, it's a tricky one. Cause I, I unlike a lot of other identities, let's say mm -hmm. that are marginalized, it's not obvious from looking at someone and right. therefore is tricky to compare to other kind of uh, conversations around things like blackface or like changing up someone's ethnicity for a role, um, a very kind of different situation. And so I am very intrigued because I do, I do agree with you. Like, I feel like this is very polarizing, but also is an issue that I think a lot of people are in the like muddy middle ground for yes. and like not really sure what they think. Totally. So actually I'm very excited to hear you, you kind of laying out your your thoughts on 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 the side. Yeah. First argument, I just don't think it makes a better performance or a more authentic performance to have a gay actor play a gay character. I think that there are so many times in which I've seen gay actors play a gay character and I don't think it's a particularly good or authentic performance. And there are plenty of times where I've seen a straight actor play a gay character and I think it's like an amazing performance. To me, I just don't think it actually helps the storytelling. And it's very similar to what you said, like being gay is not necessarily something that is very visible. It's not something you can detect most of the time. It's not something like race or ethnicity or like physical disability or something. Mm -hmm. And it's an experience that I think is far more easily understood and able to like understand as an actor. So I just don't think it makes a more interesting performance. I especially think this because a lot of the times, more often now, you will have like a lot of writers who are LGBT or directors who are LGBT cast straight actors as gay characters. And for me especially, like, I don't think we can necessarily put a hierarchy on what it means to have like better, more accurate re representation because people behind the scenes, people who are creating the stories have decided who are gay have decided that like this is the way that they want to tell this gay story 
Like, I want to trust that this gay director, that this gay writer knows what this story is supposed to look like. So, so yeah, there, there, there's an aspect of that. And so, kind of going along with what you're saying about Benedict Cumberbatch, like, I also don't think it is a very practical request to make. Directors and producers can't ask an actor if they're gay in an audition room. And I don't think it's also something that you can very easily ask actors to self-select for. And you are putting, you might be putting actors in a situation in which they either have to like out themselves to people they don't want to out themselves to, or they have to lie to people. And like, I don't think that's really good either. So to me, I'm just like, like, just let straight, like, don't gatekeep this. Just let straight actors play gay characters. If they're not straight, like, that is something for them to work out. But I don't think it's something that as an audience, I should necessarily like put that pressure on them. And I don't think it's something that we need to put pressure on gay performers that they need to be out in order to be able to authentically tell their stories. Very well put. Question from that. Yeah. So you said about the idea of like, there are, you know, gay writers and gay directors who are telling their kind of stories, like the authenticity might come from that angle as well. Yeah. Do you think that it's different for them then that they wouldn't be affected by the same issues that might prevent queer actors from coming out? Like, would you would you feel like it's it's would be easier or a slightly different situation to have them be out when they're they're in their creative process? As in, like directors and writers, like should directors and writers be out necessarily? I don't necessarily think. I don't think anyone needs to come out. I don't think anyone should be pressured to come out. That is something that they have to deal with on their own time with their own family and friends and their own perception of themselves like i'm specifically talking about situations like the prom in which ryan murphy directed that movie but got a lot of hate for a lot of things but specifically for casting james corden as barry because he is like this a straight actor who not a lot of people like and he was playing this gay character and to me i i think it was kind of like silly for people to 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 do that i think that was a really disproportionate amount of hate that james corden got for this one because like ryan murphy is a gay man he is making the decisions on like what the story needs to be so like i want to trust that the gay people behind the scenes know how to do this and also the problem is like a movie in which literally every other actor who played a gay character was gay or bisexual in real life so i think it was like a, a, just a disproportionate thing to to put on this one guy basically because like people didn't like him essentially people saying gay characters should only be played by actors of any sexuality that i like right like I, like I, I will see list <laughs> like you see list of like actors who should have played barry in the prom and they'll put like stanley tucci and i'm like no you can't you can't do that you can't just say like this straight person is fine because like I can, I think he can be a gay man. Like, no, that is not how it works. I think there, I think people who are like, I don't want straight actors playing gay characters at all, except for Natasha Leone or like, like stuff like that. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No, really, really just calling out the lesbian icon that isn't at all a lesbian. Right. Natasha yeah, Leone. exactly. And yeah, exactly. And I'm like, again this goes to like authenticity and accuracy like a lot of lesbians a lot of queer women love how natasha leone plays lesbians and queer women natasha leone is a great actor she imbues a lot of layers into all of these characters and to me like i can't say that her performance would be better or different if she weren't a straight woman i also don't necessarily think that 
a different actor who is a lesbian could like or, or bisexual could do the same things that Tasha Leone does. I think that people are really fixated on what they think authenticity looks like, but it doesn't really look like the things that you think it looks like when an actor is performing, I think. I think it's a matter of like let actors be actors in, in this case. Because sexuality is not something that is like a visual marker and it is not something that is like an unknowable experience. I think a lot of the baggage that gay people have is not like a completely unknowable experience that straight people can't learn about more. And I think that from my point of view, a lot of the potential pitfalls that I see people like reasonably being wary about with straight actors actually can be solved by not having uh, bad writing uh, and, and having authentic writing, right? So 100%. it's like, okay, I don't really, I find it very uncomfortable for this straight actor to be playing this extremely stereotypical, like offensive stereotype. Yeah, That's not necessarily all down to the actor. Like if you fix that writing, it'll be way, way not, not so much of an issue anymore. A hundred percent. Like, look, not to do a hot take within a hot take, but I thought James Corden's <laughs> performance in the prom was actually pretty good, especially considering some of the lines he had to say, like, I'm as gay as a bucket of wind. Like, like, what is a gay actor <laughs> supposed to do with that that would be a hundred mm. times better? My hot take, which I can't remember if I've said before on one of these hot takes, because I feel like it's just a perpetual hot take that I have. And it kind of feeds into this. And also what you were just saying about how exciting it was to have a butch character within yeah. one of these movies is... I have to say a lot to well-meaning straight people, especially, or sometimes queer people who really... The kind of people who have never actually watched a queer movie before, like they mm -hmm. just, it hadn't really occurred to them that they existed. And they sort of, as if I'm going to, uh, assume I'm going to agree with them mm -hmm. when they're like, you know, I like, you know, queer movies are fine, but I just, you know, there's just so many, like with those stereotypes of, you know, there's just so many character films about like these gay men who are just like over the top stereotypes and these gay women who just, and I'm like, is there though? Actually, if you think about Bro. it for two seconds, mm -hmm. is there though? Or are you just used to like sketch comedy, which like repeats the same tired stereotypes and you've mistaken that for leads in a movie? A hundred percent. Because I genuinely feel like people could not count on their 10 fingers combined butch women and effeminate men who Bro. are in roles where they are respected and have like a three-dimensional life. You mm -hmm. could not do it because they are so few and far between. This is, this, yes, 100%. This is something, this is a big criticism I have with like, this is something I think about a lot in video games specifically. Video games do this total bullshit in which they will create a really butch woman, a very masculine butch woman who in a lot of different contexts would be seen as a butch lesbian, would be seen as like a very masculine lesbian. And then they will completely go out of their way to make this character like 100% heterosexual or just like give her no sexuality whatsoever. And when I argue, like if you think about like, I'll just start listing characters and hope that maybe people will know. But if you think about like characters like Zarya in Overwatch or Cassandra in Dragon Age, like a lot of characters like that, and people might be like, well, I mean, do you want these companies to like create characters that are stereotypes? I'm like that people go out of the way to paint a lot of butch characters as not actually being gay. That does not come from a place of like trying to prevent stereotypes. It comes from a place of trying to make this marketable to a heteronormative audience. Because if it were true that they were trying to avoid stereotypes, they would just make these characters gay and then just like not make them fucking annoying. But they, 
but they don't they, they don't yeah, do they that would, they would give them like actual inner lives and like i remember right. how like incredible it was watching well, well okay first of all however much uh i know that i will in fact be sitting with everyone else in hell for <laughs> this mm-hmm. i did watch glee um and i did too bro i remember how like genuinely exciting it was for Kurt Hummel to be a character who was treated with any kind of respect in that script. Yeah. Like that, they kind of went a little bit off the rails, uh, you know, uh, not even that far into the show. Um, But it was, it was this like, hey, there's going to be this character who is like very fey, like very effeminate, loves show choir, like is very flashy, loves his clothes and fashion. And yet we're going to like actually give him some interesting storylines that don't Mm -hmm. just revolve around stereotypes because people like stereotypes are there for a reason, which is that people fulfill them, but they have other shit going on in their lives. Like there are like everyone does. And so I remember like watching the American version of Queer as Folk and like Emmett as a character is incredible. Like Mm -hmm. I love his character. I think he is so interesting and has so many storylines that really just run every single possible like he at one point was like an ex-gay like got really into religion to try and like kind of deal with his with other people's discomfort about his own sexuality he had relationships with guys who were closeted he had like a burgeoning like tv career like he had so much going on in his life but he also had like his friendships that he had with it with teddy especially like all of these really beautiful like interests outside of this element that some people would like dismiss as a stereotype right when actually it's just part of his character and part of a lot of like actual queer men's like personalities and expression 100 percent. and like look not to keep on bringing this back to the prom but like as someone <laughs> as someone who works in the theater industry i thought that james corden's performance as a white middle-aged man who loves musical theater was pretty accurate to me like that is like that's a guy i've seen before and some people would be like oh that's so stereotypical yeah but some of those people like still exist and they're still part of the community and like we shouldn't like shame them for like being who they are and i mean the entirety of the prom was very like Mm -hmm. intensely like archetypical characters and like larger than life like this was not just him as the one over the top character right all these straight characters who were very like playing it natural yeah my biggest my biggest complaint of the prom is that i just like wanted them i just wanted to be more about the lesbians yeah yeah because that I think I did like a YouTube I did like a YouTube video all about like the prom and how much I like the the real problem with the prom is that it's not about the lesbian and that's not a movie thing that's also written to like the original Broadway show but aside from that tangent like yes I agree I I think if you wanted to avoid stereotypes you just give these characters more interesting lives I think that this I don't know I don't want to veer too much into like another hot take but I think like the lack of butch women in movies and tv about lesbians shows like an extreme discomfort that society has with like female masculinity that people have just not unpacked at all Mm -hmm. there are a lot of tv shows that have like really amazing stories about queer women bisexual lesbian women who like have very full lives but like none of them will be butch you will this night not see any kind of masculine lesbian and people are like oh that's avoiding stereotypes but no that's like again that's you're just trying not to alienate 
heterosexual audiences. Mm-hmm. There, like, there will be shows, like, I, like Grey's Anatomy right now has like a non-binary doctor, and they never had like a butch lesbian doctor on it. And I think it's wonderful that Grey's Anatomy has a non-binary doctor. That's like crazy to me. I also am like, that's cr- also crazy to me that like just downright female masculinity is like never represented at all mm-hmm. um and i'm like why can't we have like all of these things together completely yeah i love how we've you've we came with three hot takes and then you left with like five everyone in the audience you, you got like two for free like we yeah. just really veered into it there send me that hate mail <laughs> um i do agree with you that i think that the impact of writers and directors mm-hmm. feels like it's more influential i mean writers yeah. especially i think there's a reason yes. why moonlight like as an example worked even though it had like this one central queer man involved that was the writer and I think it's like that's where the authenticity came from um from like the ground up and I think everything else that got added on top of that was just like very very talented people who came to give this story a shape an aesthetic a a an emotionality that's rooted in like performance like all of these things that that really was rooted in that script um and so I think that I tend to agree with you I although I do think that if I was told hey they're making this like lesbian movie Mm -hmm about like a group of like queer women yeah and like all the creative team involved like all of the actors and stuff are queer like Mm -hmm. it's gonna be like I I would not be like oh no like but the straight women should have the opportunity to to be Mm -hmm. in that movie too like it wouldn't like hurt me emotionally absolutely but I do I do agree that like Natasha Lyonne alone is a <laughs> yes is is reason enough to to kind of disprove the idea that it's impossible. I will say that there's that outside of the actors themselves, there are potential issues with the way in which that is then absorbed and conceptualized by an audience, by the industry, by critics, yeah. mm-hmm. which is which is kind of proven by the fact that we have so many straight actors that are given awards as if playing a queer character is like. Mm-hmm the challenge like it was it's it's you know we must reward them for this difficult role of playing gay um especially when a lot of those stories are also very tragic very like kind of Mm -hmm. miserable and as well with audiences like it's kind of become a meme at this point the the interviews that are done with straight actors playing queer roles when it's like yeah how did you do this and they're just like I don't know, man, like it was tough, but we got through it. Or like, love is all the same. Like we're all the same on the inside. Like all of these kind of platitudes that are very like, okay, sure, whatever. It more feels like an issue because of all the conversations around it than the actual performances themselves. Of course, absolutely. Yeah, I I definitely don't want there to be like a disproportionate amount of accolades given to straight actors for, for doing roles that like, gay actors could do as well I think uh, proportionality is like very much a theme that I have whenever I like talk about these issues of representation I I personally just also believe that like casting an actor is kind of like one of like the last pieces of the puzzle and so the other pieces of the puzzle need to like be set up far more and I think there's a lot more disproportionate I are given towards casting when there's been 1700 steps before that process that people need to be aware of so like like straight actors like darren chris have been like i will never play a gay role again and i think that's fine i understand that i don't think it's like necessary for straight actors to say like i will never play a gay role i want people to think 
more critically on like what it means for the storytelling and what it means for representation that a lot of the conversation is about like is the casting appropriate for for this story Mm -hmm. I think generally like I I know that there's a big issue as well with the idea of like queer actors who are like if we don't get to play queer roles if we're out we also don't we don't get offered any straight roles at that point so we kind of are limited and I think that like my my thing with that is like you we should be able to there are enough stories and experiences of queerness for someone to go their entire career just playing queer roles Mm -hmm. the same Mm -hmm. as there are plenty of straight people who go their entire career just playing straight roles and that is again an issue with producing with writing with commissioning with like all of that kind of side of things rather than necessarily with the actor themselves and their choices yes and yeah and i think i think it's like an understandable fear that like a lot of gay actors will have that like i'll never be able to play a straight role again like to me there are there are gay actors who can do it like i think it's amazing that like neil patrick harris has been able to do it for decades but Mm -hmm. there there still is like a fear of like being like boxed in and to go with your point well that to me goes to like a point i have about you know like not centering these stories on romance as much like there are just so much more complex stories that we can have without like really focusing on like this really narrow aspect of what it looks like for someone to be gay and like seem gay amazing I think that's our three hot takes for today, which turned into like five different hot takes. hundred hot takes, bro. A million hot takes. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I was fully um, on board with the first two. And I think the third one, I agree with all of your points as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's that topic that is very much like a, a hot topic at the moment. And I yeah. think I tend to agree with with the points that you made. So thank you so much for coming. That was so lovely to have you on. Uh, we've been really enjoying doing the guest episodes and I'm personally really excited that I am now expanding beyond just like people that I know <laughs> because they're my friends. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for coming in and giving us your hot, hot queer movie takes. Uh, thrilled. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. And I'm so glad that it was a very, very gentle and there was a lot of like mutual understanding. And agreement. A lot of agreement. <laughs> Loved it. Fun. Any, have me on any time to talk about some of my other opinions, I guess. So if people have uh, listened to your hot takes and are like, I would like to hear more, um, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me at Aria Vells on TikTok or my YouTube channel is The Critical Lesbian. Amazing. So that is it for today's episode. Um, If you've enjoyed it, then make sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you are primed for our next one in your podcast app of choice. And if you really like what you hear, then consider supporting us over on Patreon, where we have some very fun perks on offer, including the aforementioned queer movie watch-alongs. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram for some behind-the-scenes content, as and when Jazza and I remember to do so at Queer Movie Pod. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter to keep up to date with everything podcast related. If you enjoyed this episode, please do think about supporting us over on Patreon. Our patrons really are the backbone of the podcast and in exchange for your support, we have some great tier rewards set up over there. One of the perks on our Patreon is a queer movie watch along every last Saturday of the month exclusively for our patrons. It's very fun. So, you know, come and join us. The Queer Movie Podcast is edited by Julia Shafini. We're also part of Multitude Productions, which has a lot more amazing sibling podcasts to ours that you should definitely check out. Make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so you are primed for our next episode. 
Thank you so much for listening and hopefully you will hear from us very soon.